It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 3814567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome into the Virtual Bible Study. It is the Virtual Bible Study for thir- Thursday, February 26, 2009, live on your computer tonight. Thank you for joining us on the program. We hope you'll stay tuned. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father Greg Gwynn is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight as always for our Thursday night Virtual Bible study. It is good to be with you, and it's good to be with our listeners, and we look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567, or you can email questions at collegeview.com. This is a listener interactive program in which we benefit, and all of our listeners benefit from your comments, and so we'll look forward to hearing from you on the program tonight. Jacob, we're still continuing to play with our new video window on our website, and uh, if you have if you're having any trouble with that, or if there's something if it's too loud, to the video, the audio is too loud, or too soft, or something like that, just send us some feedback on that. We're still trying to play with that. Uh, we think it's going to work out for us, but we need to hear from you. If you have some problem with it, by all means, let us know. If you're on a slower internet connection, if you'll click the button above that one, which says just listen, if you have a slow internet connection, you'll do better just listening, perhaps, and uh, not trying to catch the the video. So. Click on the to listen, and then click off of our home website so that you don't not try to get all that uh, content fed through your slow connection. All right, let us know what you think about the video, but uh, we're more important, more in, uh, concerned about, and more important topic, and that's what we want to study on the virtual Bible study tonight. We want to talk about religious holidays, and this has been a week of religious holidays. Many people may not know it by the the face that the holiday uh, has and the, the the appearance of the holiday, but the Mardi Gras celebration that occurred in New Orleans uh, this week and occurred around the world, similar festivals or carnivals as they're known, occurred around the world this week, and those have religious roots. They they, they have a connection to some religious holidays, but our our friend who listens frequently in Birmingham, Patrick, has written in, I think he's correct on this, he says, I sense in this question... I probably should read the questions, but I will. He says, I sense in the question the assumption that such festivals and uh, festivities such as Mardi Gras, uh, uh, let's see, no, wait a minute, I, I, I read this someplace here. He says, it's not a, it's not a, an officially recognized religion. Oh, th- this series of questions also implies that Mardi Gras is a religious holiday. Although it has connections to religious holidays, it is not itself a religious holiday and is not a day set aside of observance of the Catholic calendar. So it, it, Mardi Gras is not per se. Here, but let's, we're, getting a, we're getting the cart ahead of the horse, Jacob. Let's, let's introduce what our subject is, and then let's deal with the idea of Mardi Gras and these other festivals that have been going on this week. All right. We're talking about Mardi Gras, Easter, but more to, in general, we're talking about religious holidays. We want to talk with you about that on the virtual Bible study tonight. That's right. We, as you said, Jacob, this has been the week for Mardi Gras. Uh, and yesterday, some religions observed Ash Wednesday, and this is the beginning of Lent. All those are, are 
right. topics that we need to define. And we need to break those down for yeah. some people because they may not be familiar with, yeah. with those holidays. And uh, and and so in because of sort of that background setting, we thought a good topic for discussion tonight would be Mardi Gras, Easter, religious holidays. Here's the questions we asked to our update list earlier today. Number one, what lessons might we learn from the well-known excesses of Mardi Gras or Carnival or any of these other festivals that go on at this time of year? Uh, number two, how should we properly view the religious observance of the Easter holiday? Number three, what does the New Testament teach about the observance of special religious days? Number four, could an individual Christian set aside a special day to personally and privately remember or commemorate something like the resurrection of Christ or the birth of Christ, something of that nature? And number five, can Christians engage in non-religious observances on days like <coughs> Easter or Christmas? So those are the topics that we want to discuss. Uh, and, and, and our thinking was uh, probably motivated, Jacob, by the fact that this is the week of Mardi Gras. Uh, and actually, Mardi Gras is French for Fat Tuesday. All right. And so basically what you got there is people know that the next day, which is Ash Wednesday, begins the, 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 the religious practice of Lent, and Lent is supposed to be a time of prayer and fasting for 40 days. And so if you're going to pray and fast for 40 days, you need to get your, you need to, uh, you know, get a lot of things let it done. All out. Get, let it all out before you have to go into a period of fasting and prayer. And so uh, it, it, the idea of Fat Tuesday is to sort of uh, take advantage of the time you've got before you have to start acting properly, I guess, is All the way right. to look at it. Okay, here's a, here's a more formal definition from AmericanCatholic.org. AmericanCatholic.org says, Mardi Gras, literally Fat Tuesday, as you noted there, Dad, has grown in popularity in recent years as a raucous, sometimes hedonistic event, but its roots lie in the Christian calendar as the last hurrah before Lent begins on Ash Wednesday. That's why the enormous party in New Orleans, for example, ends abruptly at midnight on Tuesday with battalions of street sweepers pushing the crowds out into the French Quarter towards home. So, so you got to quit at midnight because it's the start of this 40-day period of Lent. All right. Now, in other places like Rio de Janeiro is very famous for a celebration at the same time. They call it Carnival. Okay. The Carnival actually literally means goodbye to the flesh. That's right. You must be reading my notes here. Car <laughs> Carnival comes from the Latin words carna and vol, meaning farewell to the flesh. Like many Catholic holidays and seasonal celebration, it likely has its roots in pre-Christian traditions based on the seasons. Some believe it, uh, the festival represented the few days added to the lunar calendar to make it coincide with the solar calendar. Since these days were outside the calendar, rules and customs were not obeyed. Others see it as a late winter celebration designed to welcome the coming spring. As early as the middle of the second century, the Romans observed a fast of 40 days, which was preceded by a brief season of feasting, costumes, and merrymaking. Okay, so there's some of the roots. The idea, the basic idea of it is let's, let's get our fun in, let's get our even immoral fun in before we have to go into this 40-day period of, of Lent, uh, and we'll talk about that too. All of that is in conjunction with, the, we, we're tying this in in our study tonight, Jacob, with Easter. All of that's tied in in the calendar with Easter. And, of course, Easter is a little bit unusual holiday, because, even on our calendars, because it's never the same time every year. You know how you calculate when Easter is going to be? 
Therefore, if you figure out when Easter's going to be, you know you can count 40 days back to Ash Wednesday, and the day before that is Fat Tuesday. How do, how do they figure Easter every year? This is kind of unusual. It comes from the Jewish calendar because Easter coincides with the Passover. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus was crucified on what we would call the weekend of the Passover observance in Jerusalem. And so the, the, among Christian denominations, the observance of Easter is linked with the Jewish Passover. So you've got to figure out when Jewish Passover is. That's how you figure out when Easter is. Jewish Passover uh, is the 14th of the month Nisan, 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 and begins on the night of a full moon after the vernal equinox. So here's what you got to do. You got to figure out when the spring equinox is, and then the next full moon after the spring equinox will establish when Passover is observed on the Jewish calendar. And then, of course, that's going to that's going to dictate to these to these uh, uh, Christian denominations when they would set the 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 day for Easter is going to be the same as the weekend for Passover. Now, this is a, the Easter holiday is uh, notably different than the Christmas holiday because the Easter holiday does we do know when Passover was would have occurred in the calendar. Yeah, and so and Easter is connected with Passover, obviously. So we, we, we would have a good idea of when Passover that, that For instance, I think you're probably contrasting that to Christmas. We right. have no idea at all. If you wanted to pick a day to celebrate the birth of Jesus, the Bible gives absolutely no indication of what month or day that would be, other than to suggest it was in a warmer month of the year because the shepherds were out in the fields at night tending their sheep, which would have been something in the, in the climate of that region, would have been something done in one of the warmer months of the year, their their climate is not that much different than ours is here in Tennessee, and so in December on December 25th, very unlikely that shepherds would be out in the field tending their flocks at night. They the, the flocks would have been in the fold, so we don't know. If you wanted to pick a day for a special celebration of the birth of Jesus, you wouldn't you wouldn't have the information in the Bible as to when it would be. But you could be pretty sure it wouldn't be December 25th. Uh, Easter on the other hand, you could nail that down to the calendar. But the question remains, are we to celebrate that day? And we can get into that as the program goes on. That's what we want to talk about. We're looking forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We do want your feedback on the program tonight. And uh, we have some questions for you to consider, but we'd just like to hear your thoughts on the idea of religious holidays. We're considering uh, the uh, Easter season now and uh, some of those holidays, but we'll take your thoughts on any uh, religious holiday. Catholic.org Catholic.org says this about the Mardi Gras season. It says, it is intelligible enough that before a long period of deprivations, human nature should allow itself some exceptional license in the way of frolic and good cheer. No appeal to vague and often inconsistent traces of earlier pagan customs seems needed to explain the general observance of a carnival celebration. So again, the idea is if you're going to do good for 40 days, if you're going to be good and try to keep yourself from sin for 40 days, you ought to have a little bit of time. It, it, be, it, be well, they're, they're basically saying it, would, it seems understandable that people would want to sort of let their hair, let their hair hang let down. Let their hair down before yeah. it started, but... Uh, our our friend Patrick here in, in Birmingham that I mentioned earlier, he is a Catholic, and here's what he says about that. He says, I'm not sure what can be learned. We ask what lessons can be learned from the well-known excesses of Mardi Gras or Carnival. 
I'm not sure what can be learned from these excesses that is different from any other excesses or those associated with other events. Drunkenness and gluttony are always sins. They have obvious physical ill effects such as clouding the mind or harming our health and spiritual ill effects such as bringing about laziness and a weak will. But less, uh, other less spoken about excesses exist too. I'm going to skip down. Um, excesses of other kinds exist and abound. They all serve as barriers to a loving relationship with God and others. So I, I think Patrick is saying what the Catholic Church was saying. The Catholic Church is not signing off on the evil that's done in Mardi Gras or Carnival. They're, they're just, I, I, I think it'd be a mistake to say that the Catholic Church gives official license to that. They don't. Well, I don't, yeah, you're right. But I mean, these appear to be Catholic websites. Catholic.org says it's intelligible enough that before a long period of deprivation, human nature should allow itself some exceptional license in the way of frolic and good cheer. Well, listen to what Patrick goes on to say. Even so, in this question, I sense the assumption that such, festi- such festivities are inherently wrong and lead people to sin. This is not the case. No, we're just not wrong to have a party. Okay, so maybe they're saying it's okay to have a party, but yeah. not this. They yeah. wouldn't say it'd be okay. okay. I mean, but there there are obvious excesses. I mean, you you get just a little bit of news coverage of what goes on in in, in uh, New Orleans around Mardi Gras, and it, it's clear that there's a lot of sinful things going on. My thought on that, when I asked this question to our update list, is what what can we learn from the excesses? Uh, think of, here's here's our friend Jim in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, who says. Men's ways are never God's ways, Isaiah 55, 8. God says to avoid sin in any form. Men think somehow that if you allow for sin, that will cause people to get it out of their system. In fact, it just condones it, makes it easier for them to do it. That's more along the lines of what I was thinking when I asked the question. Doesn't this teach us that some people, in other words, if, and again, I'm not saying the Catholic Church or anybody else as a religious organization justifies this or signs off on it, but it seems like it's in a lot of people's mind that if I'm going to have to do some good, I mean, i got to do some evil to offset it. I, I, it's like a balance. A lot of people view being a spiritual, a spiritual person sort of as a balance. As long as my good outweighs my bad, you know, if I've got a little bit more good than I have bad, then God will be okay with me. And so I'm going to just push the limits here before I get into the religious observance of this season. And, and just so long as I don't... You know, as long as I do the good, it'll offset the bad. And I just think people are uh, have a, a wrong view about serving God. There's no matter what is happening in the future, my job today, whatever day it is, is to be faithful to God. Yeah, right. And and it's and it's not like we just want to. We've got we've got this fleshly desire, and you've got to satisfy the flesh has to be satisfied. So we'll just do it now, and then we can get the flesh out of the way in order to crucify those fleshly desires and to not serve them. And that's what the scriptures teach. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Your statement there reminded me of what Paul said in Colossians 3, verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. So God's going to hold people accountable. If they think that they can go out and have wild partying in anticipation of, of 
living better for the next few weeks. They're mistaken. There is no such license provided by God. And, and so uh, I, I guess the main thing I, I would stress is it's not, it's not a make sure your good offsets your bad on a balance scale. Just as long as you have more good than bad, God will be okay with you. That's not the case. We're talking about religious festivals on the virtual Bible study tonight. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we will hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. Hi, I'm Anthony Petrochko, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. We want to remind you that our website, www.collegeview.com or www.thevirtualbiblestudy.com, has lots of valuable study tools available for your use. First, you can find archives of all our past programs there. We've covered a wide variety of topics, including doctrinal issues, moral and ethical questions, and many things related to living daily as a Christian. And while we don't have a search engine option on our website, remember that you can hit Control-F and type in a keyword. You'll then see that keyword highlighted on the page. For instance, if you hit Control-F and typed in the word worship, you'd find these past programs that we've conducted. Does it matter how we worship? What about contemporary worship and hand clapping? Our worship, pleasing to God or pleasing to man? And instrumental music in worship? That's just an example, but you get the idea as to how the web page can be used to help in your study of various subjects. Also remember that we have copies of our church bulletin on the website, and these bulletins include articles on hundreds of topics. You'll also find some recorded sermons, some Bible tracts, as well as information about the College View Church. So be sure to check out the valuable resources on our website. Again, the address is collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And thanks again for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Be sure to tell others. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the Virtual Bible Study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We're glad you're a part of it. We're glad you're listening, that is. We would like you to be a part of it with your comments. You can do so by emailing or by calling the program tonight, we're looking forward to hearing from you on this important subject of religious holidays. Religious holidays are very common. And what does the Bible tell us about these religious holidays? That's what we want to talk about tonight. Well, we, we just sort of introduced it by talking about Mardi Gras and some of the excesses of Mardi Gras. And, and I think Patrick uh, made uh, legitimate points when he said, you know, excesses are always wrong. Mardi Gras, it per se, is not a religious holiday. And and it's not wrong to have a party, but it is wrong to sin. So we, all of those things are true uh, concerning Mardi Gras. But let's move on, Jacob, to the second question that we asked, and that was how should we properly view the religious observance of the Easter holiday? Uh, now, now this is a que- this is a question I don't know the answer. Does Lent is Lent considered part of the Easter holiday? Well, since you ask, uh, I've got a little info background on that. 
Lent in some, this is according to Wikipedia, it says Lent in some Christian denominations is the 40-day long liturgical season of fasting and prayer before Easter. The 40 days represents the time Jesus spent in the desert where, according to the Bible, he endured temptation by Satan. Different churches calculate the 40 days differently. Now, it's important to note that those 40 days were not prior to his crucifixion. That's right, and they're not saying that. They're just saying they picked up the name 40. Here's another. It says the number 40 has many biblical references. The 40 days Moses spent on Mount Sinai with God in Exodus 24. 40 days and nights Elijah spent walking to Mount Horeb, 1 Kings 19. God made it rain for 40 days and 40 nights in the days of Noah, Genesis 7. The Hebrew people wandered 40 years traveling to the promised land, Numbers 14. Jonah, in his prophecy of judgment, gave the city of Nineveh 40 days in which to repent. And so they, I guess that's where the number 40 comes it's from. It's better than 70 times 7, I guess, if you're fasting. <laughs> yeah. We'd be in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> we had to do that 490 days yeah. a year. Okay. Um, but the, the thing of it is, um, this is not taught in the Bible. I mean, the idea of Lent, okay, you got Mardi Gras Fat Tuesday because the next day is Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, 40 days of prayer and fasting. My first question would be, where do we where do we read that in the Bible? And the answer is, we don't read that anywhere. Where Christians were instructed to engage in a period of fasting leading up to the time in which they would once annually remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That, that, article, that article admits that the forty days of fasting was pulled out of the air, if you will, with good re- with reason, with connection. Well, 40, we understand 40 is an but, interesting but they number just, in the Bible. That was something that man came up with. Yeah. And so that immediately raises some flags and concerns in in my mind when I hear by definition, like that. By definition, that's not a biblical uh, uh, ob- observance. And it's, it's a it. commandment of men, of men. That's right. And so we've we got some Bible about following the doctrines and commandments of men. We remember in Matthew chapter 15, uh, Jesus warned about that, Matthew 15, verse 9, in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So if it, if it is a, a man-originated religious observance taught and mandated for all to observe, then we, we should, we, we got to, that raises red flags. We got to be concerned about that. If someone were going to say, by what authority do you do this? Where in the Bible do you have the authority to teach and instruct people to do this? We'd say, we don't have it. It's, it's not there. There's no Bible for it. Uh, and so that being the case, we could not apply the, 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 the verse in Colossians 3.17 where it says, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. That verse teaches, have Bible authority for your practices. We couldn't do it. Now, you mentioned Fat Tuesday and Ash Wednesday. We've, we've talked about Fat Tuesday, that being the Mardi Gras, the celebrations. What's Ash Wednesday all about, and uh, and how does that work? You got anything on that? I don't. I don't either. Uh, oh well, okay. <laughs> now I understand that the ashes represent uh, some repentance. So uh, you you just uh, let me see. Have, you just you just let your hair down on Tuesday, and you've got uh, some things on your mind, some some things on weighing on your conscience. I guess uh, the the ashes represent uh, maybe the sackcloth and ashes, maybe. But again, where do we read about this? How would we know what you're supposed to do on uh, with your with ashes, and uh, where do the ashes come from? What, what? Let me see real quick. Maybe maybe one of our listeners can give us some background on it because I that's one thing I didn't look up, and I'm not familiar about the origins of Ash Wednesday. So let's see here. Now I understand that they do put ashes on their forehead to show that they are now 
they are now uh, repentant of their sins, and uh, those ashes, I guess, are sometimes applied in the shape of a cross. Okay, here we go. Uh, Ash Wednesday is the first day of Lent. It occurs 46 days, 40 days not counting the Sundays before Easter. It falls on a different date each year because it's dependent upon the date of Easter. It can, it can occur as early as February 4th or as late as March the 10th. Ash Wednesday gets its name from the practice of placing ashes on the foreheads of the faithful as a sign of repentance. The ashes used are gathered after the palm crosses from the previous year's Palm Sunday are burned. In the practice of some churches, the ashes are mixed with the oil, with oil and so forth and so on. Um, okay, so we're burning now palms. Those are the Palm Sunday. Yeah. All right. And what, okay, Palm Sunday. Well, Palm Sunday is Jesus entering into Jerusalem. Right, that, that's the, that Sunday before the crucifixion. That's, that's right. Uh, Palm Sunday is a, is a movable feast which always falls on the Sunday before Easter. The feast commemorates an event alleged by all four Gospels, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. So, that, so you have Palm Sunday, and uh, you burn the palms from that Sunday and save them till the next year. Ash Wednesday because Ash Wednesday comes earlier than Palm Sunday, so you got to you got to use the ashes from the previous year's Palm Sunday to have ashes to mark the foreheads of, of worshipers, which indicates that they are repentant. Now, certainly Jesus coming into Jerusalem before his crucifixion was a very important. And thing. they did lay palms down. And they laid palms down, and it's that was that's wonderful. We're not diminishing that, but where do you get the? Where do we find that we're supposed to? have a Palm Sunday, we're supposed to save the palms. And what, where do you save them? What do you do with them? And, out of, and where's the biblical instruction on applying ashes to the forehead? Uh, again, what we're just saying is there's no Bible on this. This is just, you, it's you, just Well, I mean, if we're just going to pick out events of Jesus' life, what about the feeding of the 5,000? Why don't we have Fish Fry Friday? Yeah. And, when, well, we could but, have, and if you're going to put ashes on somebody's forehead, why, why ashes? Why not? Why not peanut butter? I mean, if you're just going to dream stuff up, who gets to say? And and and, and what are the limits but of that? Now, now, certainly, this makes sense to my human reason. I I can follow the logic behind all of this. Well, you can you can see how it's related to the Bible story. It That's makes, what you're saying. Yeah, it makes sense. And and some of it sounds like a good idea. It sounds like a good idea to be sorry for my sins, Ash Wednesday. It seems like a good idea for me to give special focus to certain things. Maybe for 40 days I could give special focus to religious things. But how am I going to decide how that is done, when it is done, and uh, various components of that? We'd like to hear from you on the program tonight at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We'd like to hear your thoughts. All right, so what, in answer to this question, the question is, how should we properly view the, the religious observance of the Easter holiday? All things involved, uh, the, the, uh, the, the Ash Wednesday, the 40-day period of Lent, the Palm Sunday, and the Easter observance itself are all things not taught in the New Testament. Those are things that have been dreamed up by men. Now, they're, they, are, they are practices of long-standing. They're centuries old. We don't deny that. But they are not as old as, as the earliest Christians. The earliest Christians did not do that. Now, the earliest Christians had even observed the th- some of the things that are celebrated here in the, in the Catholic holidays. Why don't we have a record of them, say, the first anniversary of Palm Sunday? 
Why do we have a record of them getting their palm crosses you, you, together? You say they, the early Christians did? Yes. You say if they did. Yes, they observed these things. Why do we? They observed when they happened. They observed the when Jesus oh, came okay. into Jerusalem. Okay. No, right? they, they were there on on the yeah, day that they Jesus saw, did. Why don't we see them? The, why don't they mark it the first year? Why don't we read about that on the first year they came together? In other words, they to, saw the events surrounding the entry. If anybody was going to mark those days, they would have been the ones doing it. And, right? there's, and there's no record of it at all. Certainly. Okay, I see your point. Uh, Jim in Mount Pleasant says, since Easter is not something found in the scriptures by reference nor by action, then we should view it as any man-made holiday. In other words, it's not authorized in the scripture to be taught, mandated, instructed, commanded. Uh, it, it is not something that we could do uh, officially uh, in the Lord's church and say, here's the Bible for it. There's no Bible authority for it. And I think that's what we've got to ultimately say on that. Now, question. somebody might say, though, it's a good idea. And it is helpful. What would you say about that? Well, uh, we're going to get a little later to, to something that I might choose to do as an individual Christian. But if it's necessary and if it's required, God would have told That's us right. this word. If it was something that was necessary, mandated, required for observance, then God would have told us about that. Second Peter three sixteen and 17 says he has supplied us with all good works in his word. And so if it's a good thing that needs to be done, God would have told us about it. And if you're going to mandate it, then you're mandating your judgment because God didn't think it was required. He, if he had thought it was required, he would have told you to do it in his word. And so if you mandate it, then you're just implying, uh, invoking your judgment on everyone else. Uh, Patrick says, it should be remembered that every Sunday is a celebration of the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. I mention this because during the, the Catholic Mass, or the Lord's Supper, as you call it, we proclaim Jesus' death till he returns in glory, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. Uh, and, I, and then he says there would be no resurrection celebrated without the birth, life, suffering, and death, all are important. And without the incarnation celebrated at Christmas, there could be no resurrection celebrated at Easter. I don't, go, I don't agree with all of that uh, right there at the end about a special religious observance of Christmas or Easter. But the point, I thought he was going to go uh, along the lines that I want to stress here, and that is we are commanded to observe the events surrounding the death of Jesus. And we do that every first day of the week, Acts 20, verse 7, when we observe the Lord's Supper that Jesus himself instituted in Matthew 26, which Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There is a weekly observance of the Lord's Supper, and the Lord's Supper in that, we remember the death of Jesus, and it certainly also would lead us, to, it is especially a, a, a committing to memory of his death, but associated with that, we would also think about his resurrection as well. But that's a weekly observance. That is mandated, and, and we do instruct and insist that that be done because the, we have Bible for that. We have Bible authority for that. All right. We're going to take a break and get this week's bullet point. And during the break, why don't you send us your thoughts or give us a call and be ready to go and the virtual Bible study continues right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. No one can dispute that we live in the most prosperous time in history. In fact, ours is the most prosperous nation in the world, and we are the most materially blessed people of all time. No other group of people, living or dead, has ever enjoyed the advantages we possess. Lesson one, be thankful. The problem, of course, is that these blessings of money, material possessions, leisure time, and personal liberties will become our spiritual downfall. Consider some of the challenges that are presented by our prosperity. First, it's easy to become consumed by the ambition to obtain more and more. 
Solomon, perhaps the richest man who ever lived, wrote, quote, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. With abundance comes an increased appetite for even more. Also, this desire for more worldly goods presents a whole new array of temptations. Paul warned that, quote, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and hurtful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10. Our news is filled with reports of corruption at the highest levels of government and business. The underlying cause is the love of money. And note that you don't have to be rich to suffer these temptations. You only have to want to get rich, as the text says. Many have suffered the ruin and destruction, both physical and spiritual, of such desire. As the pursuit of riches and possessions continue, men invariably allow God to be crowded out of their lives. Many a Christian has neglected his spiritual duties while salving his conscience with the excuse, I must earn a living. God, on the other hand, has promised that if we will put his kingdom first, quote, all these things shall be added unto you, Matthew 6, verse 33. May we all have the faith to trust him in this way. Our prosperity is a huge spiritual threat. Be careful. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study, and we hope you'll tell others about the program. We're always open to your feedback concerning topics for discussion and suggestions as how we can make the program more effective. Drop us a line at questions at collegeview.com or call us toll-free at 877-381-4567. My name is Cole, and I'm eight years old. My name is Thomas, and I'm seven years old. And our family loves to listen to the virtual Bible study. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. You are live on Thursday night, February 26th. And if you are live... We have a new video feed that we're trying out, and you can comment on that. Let us know how we look and how we sound. Well, we know how we look, and it's not pretty, but how do we sound? And you, uh, do we sound uh, okay coming across the new video feed? And there is a new feature that you can also get to if you, uh, if you access us through Ustream.tv, and you can find our program there. There is a chat window. I believe you also click on the video in uh, the web, the website for thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. It'll take you to that page where you can chat with other people who are listening and viewing the Virtual Bible Study live. And so you talk might, among yourselves. Yeah, yeah. Just keep it down to a low level <laughs> yeah. so we can, can talk over you. But uh, you might want to try out uh, the chat room while you listen to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. And don't chat among yourselves and leave us out. We'd like to hear from you. Questions at collegeview.com or Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Jacob, a couple things came in while we were at break. One, and I think we need to cover both these. Uh, uh, Tom here in Columbia, Tennessee, has sent uh, an article with the background of ashes in the Bible. This is a good tie-in, and he referenced this article references several instances in the Old Testament where people put on sackcloth and ashes, and it was a sign of grief or remorse right, or okay. sorrow. And and so that would tie in the ashes with the idea of repentance. Certainly, I mean the logic. Yeah. I see the logic, and it yeah. uh, it makes sense to me. But uh, you know, we don't find any scripture to tell us to do that. Yeah, that's thanks, Tom. Have, thanks, Tom, for that background. Sure. Then, thank you, Tom. Then uh, Sarah here in in Columbia has said some people may be confused by certain translations translating Passover as Easter, and that's something we didn't talk about. You know, we said there was nothing in the Bible about observing Easter. But actually, in your King James Bible, in Acts chapter 12, the word Easter is found. In Acts chapter 12, 
Beginning verse 1, it says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James the brother of John with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. There's the word Easter. Somebody said, oh, the Bible does mention Easter. But actually, that is a gross mistranslation. That is the word for Passover. It even said in the previous verse, it was the days of unleavened bread. That's the Jewish observance of Passover. This should be translated Passover. Newer translations will say Passover instead of Easter. This is the same word that is found 28 other times in the New Testament, and each of the other times it's translated Passover. For some reason, the King James translators, I think, had an agenda and forced the word in here. It's not in the original text. It's not Easter. It's Passover. All right. Uh, 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Which, by the way, proves that the King James Version is not a flawless translation. Some people think oh, that the King James is an inspired translation. It's came not down a, on a golden parachute. It's a good translation, but it's not flawless. That that one thing would prove that it's not, and it's, if it was inspired, that wouldn't be there. All right. Uh, we uh, And also, we'll remind you, you can go to the chat room. Truth Factor's in the chat room now, but uh, Truth Factor is all alone. So if you want to talk to Truth Factor, you can join in the chat room. Let us know your thoughts. We'd like to hear from you on the program tonight. All right. Uh, now, let's let's move on to to some more questions. We already said, you know, you, you couldn't have a, a an official religious observance of the Easter holiday and, and claim any Bible authority for it. It's not in the Bible. Now, the next question we ask, what does the New Testament teach in general about the observance of special religious days? Well, Jim in Mount Pleasant says there are special religious days designated by God Acts 16, verse 2, Acts 20, verse 7. Well, Acts 16, 2 says we're supposed to lay by or contribute on the first day of the week. Acts 20, verse 7 says on the first day of the week, Christians assemble together to observe the Lord's Supper. So the special day is every first day of the week. So that's the special day. And so I appreciate Jim for, for, for specifying that. But what we're talking about more particularly is what about days like Easter or Christmas where and those are the those are the predominant ones Jacob where religious denominations are going to have official observances on specific days that that we can't read about in the New Testament you can't read about Easter or Christmas in the New Testament authority for for the kind of observances that they're practicing and certainly if we're binding those that we can find numerous scriptures that would tell us the danger of binding uh, man-made days on others I think that's right. Uh, in Galatians chapter, let's see if I can find this real quick, Jacob. Yeah, I should have found it before I threw it at you. But I think it's Galatians chapter, well, if I can even find Galatians here, I'm having trouble turning my pages. Uh, is it chapter, well, I'm drawing a blank. It's in Galatians. Uh, I'll find it here in a minute. We don't want dead air here, Jacob. Have you found it? Uh, no, I haven't. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Let us know your thoughts as we talk about religious holidays. And uh, do you see any danger in uh, observing? It's Galatians. it's Galatians 
411. Do you see any danger in observing uh, man-made holidays and uh, binding those as uh, holidays that the whole world needs to be celebrating? Go Here, ahead. Here's the quote from Galatians 411. I think this would this would apply. Paul said to these Galatian Christians, ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. So he he there was talking about them having special designated days of religious obser- uh, observance, and he said that makes me afraid. I'm afraid, and and he said his labor might be in vain, suggesting that it could lead them to actually being unfaithful to the Lord. And so without religious, without Bible authority for these religious observances, Paul says we shouldn't be doing that sort of thing. Again, it goes back to the question, where's our authority for them? Colossians 3.17 says we've got to have authority, and if we don't have authority for them, we can't be practicing them as official observances of the church to be instructed and mandated upon everybody to, to keep them. Now, that, that's, that's the way I'd go about it. It's, it's without authority. Paul even warned about people doing that sort of thing. Certainly, and so when we observe these as religious holidays and we're in direct contradiction to his uh, condemnation of those types of uh, edicts that we would uh, apply to others. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, verse 21, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have, done, have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Notice what Jesus is saying there. He's talking about the the, the scene at judgment, and he's talking about some people who are going to claim that they were doing great things religiously. But Jesus is going to tell them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity or lawlessness. That, That word iniquity means lawlessness. They didn't have law for what they were doing. They weren't doing it according to the rules of God. And even though they thought that they should be commended for their many religious deeds, Jesus said, no, depart from me. I never knew you. You, you, were, you did those things without authority. You did, they were lawless deeds. So, uh, you know, even though people would think perhaps that these special days are, are, you know, great and good, that's by their own invention, and it's without authority. We can't do it. All right, and we do have a passage that does talk about observing days, and it gives for some allowance observing days, and we'll talk about that on the other side of the break. passage that we're referring to is Romans chapter 14, that it does tell us about observing days, and it doesn't make yeah. a blanket condemnation. Yeah, this, is, this is the question I think a lot of people are listening are interested in this next question. We're going to get to it right after we come back from this break. Could an individual Christian set aside a special day to personally and privately remember or commemorate something like the resurrection of Christ or the birth of Jesus? We'll talk about that when we get back from this break. All right. Truth Factor is still in the chat room, and uh, he gives us the website where you can go to find the chat room if you'd like to talk with Truth Factor. He's in Edmond, Oklahoma tonight, wanting to talk to you. Ustream.tv slash channel slash the-virtual-bible-study. We'll get you to where you can talk to can the you, Truth Factor. Can you get to that chat room just from the video window on our website? You might be able to click to it, I think, and uh, it might open up another page for you. Maybe yeah. that's how that works. Yeah, talk among yourselves. All right, we'll take a break and be back right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. 
because Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great, I'll see you there. Then pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd. But don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. It just might find it is easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College of Church of Christ. Wow, this internet thing is really growing. And what could be better than using the internet for Bible study? I guess that's what they were thinking when they dreamed up the virtual Bible study. Good idea, don't you think? Hello, my name is Kent Bumgarner. My family and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Please join us. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study. Truth Factor still all alone. And he says you can also click the menu button at the bottom of the video window, and a list will open up. But go to show page, and that will do it as well. So thank you for those tips tonight. Uh, Truth Factor in Oklahoma. We're talking about uh, holidays on the virtual Bible study tonight. Again, we see some danger in observing man-made holidays, at least we see danger in binding those man-made holidays on everyone yeah, else. Yeah, I think that's the key that I would stress in our answer so far. We're talking about something where someone says, we're going to do this, you've got to do this, this is the day to do this, this is what we must do. Uh, and we're saying if it's not authorized, we can't do that sort of thing. But in regards to this question, could I as an individual Christian say, let's move away from the Easter. We've been talking about Easter. Let's just say that on a particular day, I wanted to pay special time and attention to thinking about Jesus being born into this world. Talk about the great prophecies of his birth. Talk about the, the, the miracle of the, of, of the virgin birth of Jesus. Talk about those events of his, of, uh, that surrounded his birth in Bethlehem. And so I'm just going to set aside this day. I may even make it a day of fasting. I'm going to pray and fast this day. And I'm going to read all the gospel accounts in, concerning the birth of Jesus. And I'm going to really key in on that. And I'm going to spend lots of time in prayer being thankful for the fact that Jesus came to be God with us, walk among men on this earth. Could I do that? Could I as an individual just say, I'm, I'm, next Tuesday I've got a day off work, and I think I'm just going to spend the day doing that. Could anybody say that was wrong? I personally, my answer, I give you my answer right up front. Personally, I don't think you could say that would be wrong. I don't see, I don't see how you could do that. Tom in Columbia emails in. Some might say Paul observed various Jewish holy days. Did Paul keep following Jewish practices after he was converted? We do know that Paul did observe uh, some times, or at least he went to Jerusalem for those times, and uh, certainly there was some idea there to do some teaching, but. He also uh, made a vow. We read about that. That's right. In in Acts chapter 21, when he returned to Jerusalem, and this was the occasion when he was arrested and over a long period of time would ultimately end up in, in Rome before Caesar, uh, he, he when he came before uh, the elders in Jerusalem and discussed things with them, uh, it says, especially he discussed uh, verse 19, Acts 20, verse 21, Acts 21, verse 19, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry, and when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said to him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law, and they are informed of thee that thou teachest all Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to be circumcised, or they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. Notice, customs. What is it, therefore, the multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. Do, therefore, this that we may say to, that we say to thee, 
We have four men which have a vow on them. Take them and purify thyself with them and be at charges with them that they may shave their heads and all may know that those things where they are informed concerning thee are nothing, but that thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law. Paul was not keeping the law as a requirement to be right with God. He taught against anybody. His, throughout all of his preaching and teaching, he constantly combated the Judaizing teachers who tried to insist that keeping elements of the Old Testament law were necessary to be a faithful Christian. He, he constantly battled those who tried to bind that. But in regards to keeping Jewish customs, he was a Jew. He was raised as a Jew. They had a number of customs. It's clear that I think Paul engaged in it as a matter of custom, not as a matter of religious necessity. Yeah, there, there certainly were religious kind of connections, though, to that. There was it, a purifying here it, that he did. That's right. It, it, had, it had his religious connection. But he wouldn't let anybody mandate or bind that. But he, I believe, because the Scripture, some people say Paul sinned in the matter. I, I don't accept that view because as an inspired man, if he sinned, then it's not specified for us. We're left in a, a, a very great predicament. I think he did not sin in the matter. And so he observed something that had a religious connotation associated with it. He did it as a matter of custom. And and so I think Tom's answer certainly is, is one to factor into our and overall I have, I have may have misspoken there when I said he took a vow. He, he, they, they were purifying themselves and shaving their heads. So there was some type of connection there. Well, I think, I think if you go back to the chapter... Um, 19, chapter 18, verse 18, Paul, after this, tarried yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed uh, thence to Syria, right. and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Sincrea, for he had a vow, and he came to Ephesus. I think okay. he was involved in that okay. vow. Okay. Um, Jim writes, uh, Colossians 2.16 seems to be appropriate here. No one should judge us in regards to holy days. It seems to me to be a personal choice how to view it. In other words, I can't judge you as to whether you keep it or not, I'm not to judge you in regards to that is is the point that Jim is making from that text. Uh, Anthony in in Columbia writes, uh, did the Jews establish holy days or holidays, festivals of their own outside of God's commands, such as Purim and the Festival of Lights? If so, does this offer any valid example for Christians today? You know, the, the Jews did keep some, some observances that were not mandated in the law of Moses. Purim was a feast that they began to celebrate after the deliverance by Queen Esther. Uh, uh, when Haman had that plot to basically annihilate the entire Jewish race and, and the Jews were delivered by Queen Esther, they started the observing Purim. And then there was also this festival of lights or it's also called today by the name Hanukkah, and that was that was a feast that was that originated in the period between the Old Testament and New Testament. It it commemorated the rededication of the temple after it had been desecrated by Antiochus Epiphanes, and uh, during the period of the Maccabees, when the Jews enjoyed some political independence, they began an observance then that is continued to today. I think that might be an indication. I think Anthony suggests something there is that, you know, we we can celebrate certain things. The question, I think, the question of the hour is, can we mandate them or require them of others? Go to Romans 14, Jacob. You mentioned this a minute ago. That's right. Romans chapter 14 talks about uh, this in uh, verse 4, beginning, uh, "Who art thou that judgest another man's servants? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand." 
Verse 5 of Romans 14, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it to the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, and he that giveth thanks, he, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. So the idea there is if you're going to do something, make that between you and God. Don't be binding it on your neighbor. But I think the passage clearly indicates that I could do that. It gives, yeah, it gives As, allowance for that. Personally, individually, if I wanted to observe a day in a special way, maybe as I described earlier about setting aside next Tuesday when I have a day off and I'm just going to really spend the whole time uh, remembering the fact that God's own son came to live on earth, live among men, read about his birth, read about all the things that happened in Bethlehem, maybe pray all, uh, and fast all day long. I, how could anybody tell tell me, you absolutely cannot do that? You, we better not catch you next Tuesday reading your Bible and praying and fasting. If we do, we're going to label you a sinner. How could anybody do that? I don't know how they could. But now if you told me you need to take off next Tuesday, and if you don't read the Bible, then you're sinning. If you don't read the Bible all day. Read you the don't, same verses I'm reading. That, say, yeah, and you, don't, and you don't fast for the same period of time that I'm reading and uh, you don't give yourself to X number of hours a day in prayer, then you, you're, you're in violation. Right. That, that's, where, that's where we would have a breakdown right there if, if we began to bind that on. And, and now and we have to contrast Romans chapter 14, verse 5. One man esteemeth uh, one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. We have to contrast that with the organization of these holidays in the Catholic Church in which let, they say, let every man be let uh, all men let, everywhere convinced of our mind. Yeah, of we're going to decide, and you better line up with it. Exactly. And that's a contradiction to what we see there. Exactly. And Don in Antioch says, could could an individual Christian do that? And he says, of course, but I can't see why someone would wait until a special day. Why not today? If we wait until a special day, how do we know we will even be here for that day? I just can't see why people get all worked up religiously just because of the ink on the calendar. And and I'm, I, well, I, I, I'm I'm sympathetic with what Don's saying there. I mean, I hope that I'm grateful every day for the fact that Jesus was born into this world. I hope I'm grateful every day for the death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary as the atoning sacrifice for my sins. I hope that I remember that every day. Uh, and so, you know, in other words, he he agrees you could do that, but I think he's saying why why wouldn't we be grateful? All the time. We're getting a comment from the from the chat room tonight. Truth Factor in Edmond, Oklahoma. That's actually John in Edmond, Oklahoma. Says one could consider Matthew chapter 15 verse 9 in that they were teaching doctrine for the commandments of men. Uh, Romans 15 verse 9. In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And so John says, be careful. If you've got a commandment of men, you need to be careful. It, 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 notice a commandment. If I'm doing it personally, I'm not commanding anybody else to do it. But if I begin commanding you to do it, then Certainly. that's a commandment of men. Certainly. Uh, Perry uh, says that we need to be careful. Colossians 2.16 in the context seems of saying don't let someone force you to observe various days as the Judaizing teachers try to do. I think he's right. Colossians 2.16 in that context was not about judging someone on an individual matter, but was actually talking about someone uh, forcing or binding uh, something in the context of that. Uh, uh, let's see. Okay, real quick, let's go to the last question. 
can Christians engage in non-religious observances on days like Easter or Christmas? What I meant by that question, Jacob, can can I take the grandkids out in the yard and have an Easter egg hunt on, on Easter Sunday? Can I, uh, on Christmas, can I uh, get together with my family and maybe exchange gifts and things that are not necessarily, well, in my mind, not at all related to any kind of a religious observance? It's a, it's a customary societal kind of a thing. Can we do that? Uh, Jim in Mount Pleasant says, yes, you can treat it like any other special day made by men. You can use it to gather with family and reemphasize the importance of family relationships and so forth. Uh, I agree. Don says, I'm of the belief that Christians should take a stand and stay away from anything to do with Eastern Christmas. I think it's just as bad for a Christian to join in on the non-religious activity as it is for non-Christians to join in on the religious such as when ungodly people attend an Easter service or sing a few Christmas carols and get all teary-eyed over a manger scene. There should, be, there should be no fellowship between righteousness and unrighteousness, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. And this is an area where Christians should make a stand. The problem is they love it and do not want to give it up. Now, here's what I would say in relationship to what Don has said. And I know people who have the same, con- the, the, the same conscience in the matter as Don has. I, and I would say if you have a conscience about this, certainly don't violate your conscience in this matter. But even the way Don expressed it there, I think he expresses it as ju- in his personal judgment. He thinks it's a mistake for Chris- Christians to have anything to do with those days because basically because someone may misunderstand our connection to the matter. That's a legitimate point. I mean, I, I, I want to be careful in anything that I might do on one of those days. I don't want people to think that I'm lining up with or, or agreeing with the, the denominational Binding false teaching of of those, on those days. Right. And so I'm, I'm going to be extra careful. I had someone just today ask me about, what about Christmas? I said, well, if I'm going to do anything at all on Christmas, I'm going to, I'm going to be extra sure that nobody mistakes me as, as buying into the denominational false teachings of that day. I'm not going to put angels on a Christmas tree. I'm not going to send Christmas cards with manger scenes on them and all of that. So if I do anything at all, I'm going to be sure that I be careful to make it clear that my day is not in line with the false religious teaching involved in that. If I do anything at all, I need to make sure I show it as simply a traditional or, or customary kind of a, a practice of something done uh, in, in our society, but not connected with my religious faith. Certainly so. We've had a good discussion tonight, and um, we've got all the comments. Uh, what about Patrick? Do we got anything from him? Uh, on, on, on no, Patrick said he didn't have time to answer them all. He, okay. did, he, he, he ran out of those time. last ones. Yeah. Well, we did have a good discussion tonight, and maybe some things for us to think about and maybe to discuss further. We have to be careful when we bind our opinions, Dad, and that's something that we all not just people who may be observing religious holidays need to be careful about. We all need to be careful about binding our opinion on others. Because my opinion, it seems to be rock solid in my view. It is perfectly logical, and everybody would be wise to, vo- to follow my opinion. But when I bind it on you, then I have just opened up a can of worms that I don't want to be opened when I get to the Day of Judgment. One more email from Perry. He says, would not Romans 14, 1 through 6, allow for personal observance for an individual Christian to set aside a special spiritual commemoration of a day, the birth or resurrection of Christ, and so on? Uh, uh, so he, he said, But he says, how would this be different from the church setting up such a day? Well, I think as we have explained it. Convinced in your own mind. Right. If you're going to do it, it needs to be you need to be convinced in your own mind. Every man, not every 
That's right. Not, not, not all Christians everywhere. Certainly so. Okay. All right. Well, we appreciate all of our good comments. Now, you got another one. Yeah, yeah, Perry, again, the email's in real quick. A non-religious observance of Christmas, Easter, etc. would fall under the Romans 14 passage, wherein it is a liberty and we are not to force our opinion on another. Okay. I think he agrees with our conclusion from that text. All right. Thank you for your time tonight, Dad. Thank you. And thank you all for listening and uh, for viewing if you're watching live. If you're watching, if you're catching this in the podcast version, uh, and we would encourage you to contact us if you have any questions or comments about any virtual Bible study program that you hear. You can check us out at collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com and find our contact information there. We'd love to hear from you. We appreciate you being a part of the program tonight, and we hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.